Hello and welcome to the CAPE podcast, CAPE standing for the Child Abuse Prevention and Education Podcast. My name is Christy McVie and I am an ex-West Australian police officer who spent 10 years with the police where I was trained as a specialist child interviewer and a child abuse detective. This podcast is all about sharing what I learned, saw and knew whilst investigating child sexual abuse in the police force. It is also about sharing the knowledge that I gained in that time that helped me with my own parenting of my then two-year-old daughter. My mission is to help share my knowledge and to help you in your role as parents to keep your kids safe along with guest experts in the field of child abuse prevention and education, both in person and online. Thank you so much for joining in on the fight to prevent child sexual abuse. Your kids will thank you for it. I would like to issue a content warning in regards to this conversation. Due to the nature of the discussions around sex and sexuality, this episode is intended for adult listeners only. Please be mindful of the young people around you when listening to this episode, so please don't listen in the car with the kids, uh, as this is not intended for them at all and is purely for parents. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Operation Cape podcast. I am with the wonderful Vanessa Hamilton, who has come on to talk about sexuality, a healthy sexuality education from Talking the Talk, and a little bit about how I met Vanessa. We have very interestingly, or very, um, a recent incident on social media mm. and some and some big, you know, media coverage around a certain book and we got connected or we've, we've been connected for a while you bought my book and um yeah and then we decided yep. to have a bit of a conversation and and here we are I think um we're very it's funny because I talked to someone else today and they mentioned you and you're everywhere at the moment Vanessa so <laughs> um maybe that's why I feel so tired (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think you should be because you've got so much going on and you can share a bit about that in Mm. a little bit but um I wanted to just share with our readers about sexuality education and talking to kids because in my book I talk about how important it is and um and I think it's one of those things where parents get really worried and scared on how to talk about it so they don't do it and mm. then we're leaving, and in my experience as police officer, we're leaving our kids with a big gap in their education. And yes. uh, and good, healthy sexuality education is is paramount to having good, healthy relationships. So basically that's why I wanted to have a conversation. So, Vanessa, just tell me a little bit about how you got started in this space. I'm sure there's a bit of a story there. There is quite a story. I've been a, um, I'm a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for over 32 years, but I've worked in sexual health for over 25 years. I've stopped counting now. It's too many to add. Just by chance, I was a backpacker in London, a nurse, and I took an agency shift one day taking blood tests in a HIV clinic in the early 90s, which is a really interesting um, time to work in sexual health. HIV medication had only just started working. So I saw lots of AIDS-defining illnesses and just saw how how impactful public health was at that time and the messaging because there were no treatments essentially for HIV. And it was, yeah, fascinating. And I worked there for seven months in the end and came back to Australia and worked at Melbourne Sexual Health Centre, which is Australia's sort of largest sexually transmitted infection clinic. Yeah. And I was the nursing manager there for five years and I was also... Uh, lecturing at Melbourne University, teaching doctors and nurses how to have conversations about sex because they'd been happily ignoring it. But now that HIV was around, 
they needed to have those conversations. So I've been educating in this space for about 18 years. Um, and I've also worked in hospitals, helping people with their sexual health, people with spinal cord injury and brain injury. Mm. And yeah, again, educating staff on how to have the conversation. So my specialty area is helping people have conversations, whether they're a health professional, parent or teacher. And I started in this space 10 years ago when my one of my kids asked me a question that stumped me, even though I was a sexual health nurse, I didn't know how to answer it. I didn't know how much level of detail to give the child. You know, I'd had conversations. They knew how babies were made, but the, the questions were beyond that because they felt so comfortable. So here we are. I created a presentation for the parents at my kid's school so that his peers and my peers could all be educated because one of the things, and that's why I'm so interested in what you do, it's when I started looking into um, children learning about sexuality, I discovered that parents just had no idea of the rates of child sexual abuse. Mm. And back in 10 years ago, there really wasn't a lot of preventative education going on in schools at all. And I was no. shocked. No. So I started doing parent and teacher sessions and schools were asking me for a contemporary approach to their student teach student sessions because a lot of providers weren't being contemporary enough. They weren't being inclusive as far as diversity. They were leaving clitoris off the anatomy, um, very, being very, very, very basic and not, not incorporating respectful relationships and consent. So I've had the privilege of teaching in schools from prep, primary school, secondary school, all the way up to first year university students for over seven years. And they've taught me more than I taught them, I'm sure. And COVID helped me create all of this content online. So yeah. now I'm accessible in more schools rather than just me walking in, delivering the content and walking out with all the knowledge. I now train the teachers, give them the content. They facilitate the lessons and I do a parent session as well. I've always insisted on having parent and teacher sessions at any schools that I go to because I Very think the important. adults need the education as you yeah. and I will talk about. And yes, I've so just written important. a book for a parent guide for um, a parent guide for parents. Yes, a parent guide for parents talking about sex and sexuality <laughs> that's out on the sixth of September. I know, and I'm so excited for that, and I can't wait to um, get my hands on a copy. I've seen a little a little snippet of it, and it yeah. looks it looks amazing. You, you didn't get much time to have a look at that. Sorry no, about that. <laughs> that's okay. But you know what? I'm so excited for you because I know what it's like to write a book. Is this your first? I know you've got a kids' book, but is this your first? like book book yeah book, it is book. my first book book yeah the other one I co-wrote with um a renowned children's author uh Ingrid Laguna thankfully and she she paved the way for how we needed to do that we wrote a chapter book on consent it's for eight to 12 yep. year olds it's called kitten Arlo find a way um so yeah this is the first one for adults yeah yeah I know what it's like to create something that's your own thoughts your feelings your emotion it's everything it's like having a baby and um it feels like you're birthing <laughs> something <laughs> yeah, I do feel a bit like that because I have um with all these years of experience there's a few issues that I think that we need to change the way we've approached them in the past and in fact this is the opportunity now for parents Let's not let's break the cycle of the past where parents were seen, um, it, it, where sexuality, educational conversations with kids were seen as taboo, harmful, shameful, or wrong. You know the hushed tones, and we don't talk about that. And yeah. you know, I had a teacher tell me once in a in a session that their experience of sexuality education at school in their high school was that it was timetabled, but it was never taught. <laughs> so, yeah you know, what more of a, we can't do this is that sort of message. So I've 
gone a bit out there with a few topics that I think we really need to reflect on that haven't served us well as far as language and approaches to sexuality yeah. education. We need to I be mean, more positive. We definitely do. And um, the thing is, is that, you know, and this is an adult podcast, so I'm happy to go there, is, you know, even in my own experiences, in my own sexuality, in my own life, I know that a lot of what I, it was, I was, it was treated as shameful. You didn't talk about it. So when you were experimenting as a young adult or a young person, you were doing things that you didn't want to do. You didn't know that you didn't have to do. You know, like I, I always reflect on my own experiences and, and that's the last thing I want any young person to learn that they have to do something that they don't want to do. Not only that, when I was, when, when I was working as a police officer and investigating child sexual abuse, you know, quite a few cases I had to investigate were um, reported as, you know, a um, sexual assault, but were actually the young people were doing things that they weren't ready for and that they would go and do with another, like with that other person, regret it, tell someone that they didn't want to do it, and then it was reported as a sexual assault and stuff like that. And quite often when I sat down with these young people and, you know, got the story, and I would hear from them that they they were like, oh, well, I didn't know how, you know, they didn't know their rights. They didn't know that they could, you know, withdraw consent, that they didn't have to do anything. Just because they talked about it in a text message doesn't mean they had to follow through with it the next day or the day after or whenever. Um, you know, and a lot of the sexual assaults that I was seeing in young people, you know, actual sexual assaults were a lack of communication. And so... And then you get a young person or a young man usually with a sexual assault record, you know, he's mm-hmm. being charged with sexual assault because he didn't ask, mm-hmm. he didn't then, consider someone else's consent. So that's therefore, right. you know, that's where I come from that we can we can avoid so much harm. We can. And I'm starting to use the term neglect now because there is so much robust evidence that giving age-appropriate, accurate, comprehensive sexuality, respectful relationships and consent information from a very young age throughout their schooling gives them better outcomes later on in life, keeps them healthier, happier and safer. So some of the countries who do it well, like the Netherlands, for example, their adolescents report much more positive sexual encounters when they do have them. They have better communication skills. They have less unintended pregnancies, less sexually transmitted infections. Um, they actually delay first sexual intercourse to a later age because they've been told about the complexity of it. Like, mm. of it, You know, the research shows that it's because teachers, parents, doctors, everyone have spoken to them openly and candidly. And it's about removing that fear and danger approach and, and giving a positive, joyful approach. And I say to parents at parent sessions, what words come to mind when you think about your journey for your child, their sexuality journey through life? What do you want for them? Mm. So you can imagine parents come up with all these positive words. We want joy and consent and fun and variety and uh, respect and I'm going blank. All those, you know, about 30 positive words we want for kids. And then yep. my next question to them is how are they going to get that journey? Are they going to get that from a lack of information that only comes from TikTok? Yeah. Married at first sight on TV? advertising, popular culture, pornography. Andrew Andrew Tate. Andrew Tate. We have to counterbalance that with information from one, the classroom, and two, from home that hopefully complements each other. Yeah. Um, And we need to be much louder than those other versions because the kids deserve better. Yeah. And how are they going to get it? How are they going to get it it if we don't talk about it? Because like you just pointed out, all of those other noises 
are very loud. Um, very loud. Yeah, and I just love I love everything about that. And I didn't realize that I'd heard the sex positive family um, terminology after I wrote my book or during the time I was writing my book. And when I realized that that is what I was encouraging in my own home with my own daughter and talking about you know sexuality, um, you know. I did. I don't. I don't think I did the sex talk or like the, you know, the, the healthy sexuality education well when I, my daughter was in that space. Even though I knew what I knew, and I, I was still very scared to talk about it. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Is it too young? Is it, you know, am <laughs> I going to make her curious? Like as it was, my daughter was eight, and it was someone else who told her at school. So, you know, and that that led. But but then I was like, well, it's done now. I'm going to make sure she gets the right information. So what do you suggest in regards well, to that? Th- that's right. So parents, give yourself a break. Here, here is two experts who work in various fields of sexuality and sex, and we struggle to speak to our kids. This is hard <laughs> because we're coming in with layer upon layer upon layer of stuff in our head mm-hmm. from the past that actually isn't relevant to children's questions or the knowledge they need. So strip back, excuse the pun, the layers in your head and just address it as a simple um, term for the children. So for example, one of the main questions people say is what to say at what age? So my answer to that is, and my take home message to parents is, if they learn nothing else, it's this, ask themselves this question, who do you want to be the main provider of this information to your child? Who do you want to be the person who tells your child about each topic related to sex, sexuality, respect, relationships and consent. Now, parents will say it's them. They want to be that person. But the evidence shows us that they say they feel comfortable having some of those conversations, but they're actually not having those conversations. Parents also, more than 90%, support sexuality education in schools. And that's Mm. reflective of what I see. So what you need to do is just start. Um, You want to be the first person to tell them. And... You know, for example, how babies are made. Babies are made in all sorts of different ways, but the most common way um, is the, I can give you that spiel if you want, but you say that to a young child before they go off to kinder and school because someone else is going to tell them. Most kids will just be like, great, can I have a biscuit? That's no big deal. (laughs) Otherwise, they might laugh and giggle and say, that is disgusting. Yeah. Why would they even do that? And then you follow on with, that's exactly right. Kids think it's disgusting because it's not for kids. It's for adult minds and bodies only. And you are giving that information. You are saying, talking about this. And if you have lots of talks at your house, that's amazing. But you can say to your kids, it's not your job to teach the other kids at school. Yeah. That's their parents' job. So this is a private conversation. You can ask us anything. Even if you think it's rude or a swear word, you won't get in trouble. You can always ask us. Yeah. Um, I'll give you the spiel of how babies are made if you want. Yeah, do it. That would be great. <laughs> Again, there's lots of different ways that families are created and babies are made, so you can talk about all that. But the most common way is when a physical male and a physical female decide that they want to make a baby. They talk a lot about it. They love and respect each other. When they're ready, they'll choose a private place and time. They'll be enjoying each other's bodies, usually with no clothes on. When they're ready, the vagina will accept the penis. The penis will deliver the sperm and the sperm will travel up to meet the egg. Boom. Boom. That's very (laughs) young age appropriate. So... And add in your own things. I actually think we should add in pleasure to any conversation we can when we can. So that expectation is what they have when they have the intimate encounters later on. So I would, especially for an older child, you would say the vagina becomes soft and lubricated. The penis sticks up from the body. 
that gives that indication that there's arousal and desire without having to say arousal and desire, but you're yeah. setting up that expectation that that's what should happen in an intimate encounter for the for for certain activities to happen. I also don't like the word sex at all. So how so encounter is the word that you like? Oh, experiences, encounters, yeah, um, activities, yeah, I sexual, sexual, I mean, sexy time. Sexy time, yeah, and it's I guess what does sex mean? Sex is so often thought of as of penis, vagina, heterosexual intercourse, commonly yes. and broadly. That is so unhelpful for ideal human sexual function and so limiting for everybody's experiences. I know, and and like sex is so many things, right? And Correct. also for me, coming from my background again, I when I was talking to the kids who'd been sexually abused, adults who'd been sexually abused, you know. Um, you, I could charge someone with a sexual penetration and no penile vaginal sex happened. So it could be anything. And, it, and in fact, sexual penetration can be by a mouth, you know, like, so, yes. yep. so this is the thing, like if we change the, the language around, you know, what sex is and talk about all forms of sex, all forms of experiences where, and again, I think it's really important. I've done this with my own daughter and talked about it with my own daughter I remember having a conversation when she was 11 about masturbation and that that it was important to know, um, you know, that it's okay. And it was awkward. It was an awkward conversation because it was the first one and parents are like, 11? I'm like, I remember I remember knowing what masturbation was at 11. So yeah. I knew that I was on the, you know, and this is the thing. We've got to remember that there's not an age, like they're not, we don't have a timeline of, they do no. it this time, this time, this time. You no. know, there's no age limit to this stuff. Which is why my book for the conversation starters, I've written I've written younger children and older children. <laughs> you pick what age is suitable for your child because yeah. as far as learning ability, disability, language dif- um, differences, uh, just maturity, I've got three of the same gender, but their, their maturity differences and their willingness to want to hear this is all different at different ages. Yeah. And people worry about, so for example, let's use, you know, we're, the book's really gone there because I really, we really need to put our big person's pants on and talk about pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> we really do Good. because that sets them up for expecting pleasurable encounters later on in life, being able to communicate those to partners later on in life. And people will say, well, um, they'll lose their innocence if we teach them about these topics. Well, that implies that learning about human sexuality, which is part of being human from birth to death, is shameful, taboo, harmful, wrong or dirty when it's not. They'll lose their innocence when something happens to them that they didn't expect to happen or didn't want to happen. Now, what yes. we need to deal with is our stuff in our head about a child masturbating or touching their own body for pleasure. Come on, everybody. What is the harm in that? Mind you, though, <laughs> it's expected of boys but not of girls. Well, we've always taught puberty lessons, not me, but puberty yes. lessons have been taught um, wet dreams for people with a penis and they would say males. They wouldn't even say people with a penis, and um, which I do because that's inclusive, um, versus periods. So that's inequitable. So in my puberty lessons, it's wet dreams and ejaculation can occur from a penis and vaginas can also become wet and lubricated because people with vaginas can also experience sexual thoughts and dreams because parents, puberty means that a physiological changes happen and, and children will experience desire and intent and physiological changes that yeah. come along with 
sexual experiences. They're feeling them. And if we name them in a positive way, yeah. they won't have shame about that. Ah, uh, And that's the last thing I want any or what I wanted for my daughter. I didn't want her to feel sh- the same amount of shame and the same amount of fear and the same amount of, you know, those feelings I had as a teenager, you know. But, but then there's this, so you have those feelings and I can only talk from the female experience, right? So the, you have those feelings of shame and et cetera, that you shouldn't do these things, but then you get to the point where it's expected that you're doing these things with your, you know, teenage male boy pressure um, in some cases, in my case it was. Um, so, you know, like there is a real disconnect between that. So why don't we empower our children to, mm, exactly. to, know, to know what's okay, what's not okay, what's, what's, you know, to understand what they want. And, um, and again, going back to that masturbation, I think when she got to about 12 or 13, I was like, you should know what your body wants before you let anyone else touch it. Yeah, that's right. And that, that's a brave statement. That's a teachable moment, a teachable statement. And you both feel awkward and it's okay for them not to respond, but you've said it and they have heard it. Well, um, she brought it up again a couple of months ago, so it was yeah, quite but, funny. <laughs> no, but that's because so the the most the second most important reason that we need to have these conversations is because we are telling them that it's okay to talk about. We're giving yeah. them skills to not only be able to communicate with partners um, and in in interpersonal relationships in the future, but we're giving them the ability to talk to their kids about it. So when I ask parents at a parent session, I say, what was your experience of learning about it? And it's pretty woeful these days. Um, What about when our kids are asked that same question? What about when they go to a parent session uh, and around talking about your grandkids, what are they going to say? Hopefully they say, actually, my parents talk to me openly. It was a bit awkward, but we had books and we had conversations and I knew that I could get accurate information. I hear that sometimes from a handful of parents. Yeah. But let, let's make that the norm and for you to be the, the key cornerstone and, and to remember that giving information is not permission. Yes. Actually, we need to realise that those other countries delay first sexual intercourse with lots of information because they understand the complexity. They've learned about all those layers related to it. And also having these conversations, I mean, you can add in your own family values, whatever they may be, whether that's marriage is the expectation or whatever it is. And we need to talk about diversity. It's really important that we use inclusive language. So if you're asking kids about you know, how many have got partners at high school in their class, then you say how many people have got a romantic partner, not a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Mm, yeah. Um, and can you see that little change in language is inclusive for everybody? Yeah. I, I remember my daughter. So I obviously in the police, I worked with a, a various ranges of, you know, people and we had some, I had some really good part, like police partners who were in same-sex relationships and it was my daughter's first uh, around, so she knew these these people. They were great family friends from about five, four, five to up to, you know, still today. And it was quite funny because she had a question about same-sex relationships and she was like, oh, so, and I won't name them, but so such and such and such, such and such, are they having sex? Like she was asking me questions about that. And having those conversations, the beauty is that she felt very comfortable coming to talk to me and and asking those questions, which is where I wanted her to come come to. But you know, I think it's really we have to normalize that sexuality and you know same sex relationships or whatever relationships there is, 
are normal as well. Um, it it creates include in what's the word inclusivity. I Being think inclusive, yeah. yeah. Well, and and we should it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that we need to include people into no. what include someone who's on the outer into the ma- mainstream. I mean, it's just it's not it always is. been this way. The current discrimination and fear from a small vocal minority of people who are really causing problems in schools around sexuality education, they, their whole dialogue is around gender ideology, which doesn't exist in our education world because it's a made-up word from people who oppose diversity. So, And it comes from fear, uh, but it's I say to people, you don't have to understand and know all of the language around humans' experiences, but you do have to respect everybody's different versions, especially children. So, for example, people think that people's gender identity must match their sex at, at, at sex assigned at birth. Yeah, that's just not the case for everybody. And uh, we're all entitled to our own opinions, but we're not entitled to harm other people with that opinion. Yeah. So it's it's about just being holding on to your own beliefs. That's fine, but not discriminating on any level to someone else based on their own version of human sexuality. Yeah. And and again, like I've said this before and I've, I'll say it probably for the rest of my life, um, you know, I don't care what anyone does in their own home as long as they're not harming someone and that's all there is to it, <laughs> you know. It, it, it does baffle me that some adults are so preoccupied with children's gender and sexuality. I find that quite baffling what, you know, of what business is it of yours? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's really, and there's just so much fear articles and that sort of thing that are just utter. Well, well it sells newspapers and it, and it creates that buzz. So with regards to, I would have imagined starting your edu- starting this in the 90s. I remember the AIDS ads back in the 80s and 90s where the, there was that, oh, what was it called? You know, the, it was um, the Grim Reaper. It was only yeah. on for nine days, that ad. Oh, my God, really? How do I still know that ad? I'm pretty sure it's nine. It might be 13, but I used to teach about that. So I can't remember nine or 13 days it was on for. I was born in the, I was born in 81. So therefore, <laughs> whenever that showed, I still remember that ad. How how uh, devastatingly impactful that was mm. on, on all of us who were around so that. So fear-based, yep. So that would have been interesting for you. You, you would, you've mm. probably seen a big change in thoughts. Um, you know, all of this. Oh well, it swings in roundabouts, really. Actually, you know, <laughs> is it? <laughs> oh goodness, um, it's such a big topic that has so many variables, which is why writing a book about it and having conversations was so difficult to mm. <clears throat> consider everyone's thought processes around it. So, like as you said, I just had to go with this is my experience tens of thousands of conversations with people about sex and sexuality based on current literature and research but please insert your own values judgments culture faith parenting styles no one's trying to tell anyone how to parent etc as long as it's being respectful as long as it's keeping children safe and healthy according to their well-being now if your child is not heterosexual so might be gay lesbian bisexual or pansexual for example or they're not cisgender, so they're gender diverse, gender fluid, non-binary or trans, their safety relies on you yes. accepting them and being respectful and having that knowledge. So we look after our kids, we teach them road safety, we get the swimming mm. lessons, we healthy eating, human sexuality and well-being is just as big a responsibility for our, us as parents as it is 
for all of those things. So I actually think adults need to go and do a bit of education. There's plenty of resources around. Over there in WA, you've got Talk Soon, Talk Often, which is a free website. Go there now, parents. Talk Soon, Talk Often from the Western Australian Department of Education. Go there. It's an excellent resource, mainly written by Jenny Walsh, and it is um, a starting point for where you need to have conversations. Buy books. Educate yourself. Think about the fact that there's got to be a better way to the past and what's happened in the past and support schools who are doing this education because it's so important. Yeah, and I think also in just a note on that, and challenge your unwritten rules. What are the reasons why you believe what you believe? I don't think we challenge ourselves and our thoughts and our ideas enough or we don't challenge each other. Like, for instance, you know, um, I often sit there and hypothesise where certain ideas come from and some of them are unwritten some of them are so underneath the base you know women are this and men are this and kids should be seen and not heard and all of these things that we have been told or have had happen in our um in you know through the generations but why why are they there and you know why did we why why didn't we want people to know about sexuality where did that come from well, I ask parents a pretty confronting question at parent sessions. I say to them uh, two things. They don't have to answer it, but I do get them to think about it. Number one is what age will your children have their first sexual encounters or experiences? And does that meet your expectations? And do the children know your expectations? And everyone sort of looks a bit stunned at me as if you say, oh, and then the next question I say is, and I'll tell you the average ages in a minute, actually. And then the next question I say is, where will your children have their first intimate encounters? Where will they have a safe place for experimentation? Mm. And, you know, parents laugh and say under a bush like we did or in the back of a car like we did. And I'm like, well, kids are never going to move out of house, a home (laughs) these days. And that that is about envisaging a positive Mm. um, journey for them, the opportunity to explore. And I didn't say sexual intercourse, by the way, which is a very heteronormative thing to say as well, but um, I said sexual encounter. So that that experimenting in a safe place where there is adults around, for example, for information and knowledge and conversations. Now, that's quite, some parents are going to be sitting there saying, Vanessa, you are kidding yourself. In heck, am I going to allow that in my house or whatever? So what's going to happen then? And that's about this fear stuff that's come from years and years. years. The average age from the Australian um, Research Centre in Sex, Health and Societies study that they do every three to four years the last iteration of that showed that um, the average age of first sexual intercourse anal vaginal or oral was 15.6 years old and the 69 percent of year 12s so this is a big study around australia 10 to 12s and 69 percent of year 12s reported that they'd experienced sexual intercourse and i say to parents what's that telling us telling us a couple of things number one it's telling us it's typically expected behavior for humans to start sexually experimenting in their late teen years Mm. always have always will they don't become sexual beings the day they turn 18 and get out of a school uniform for example the other thing it's telling us is that they need information well before age 15.6 years The troubling uh, stats we saw in that research was that the average age of that nearly 40% had experienced an episode of unwanted sex in inverted commons. Now that's just not good enough. It should be that they're not, they don't have unwanted sex. It should be that we don't expect that that should happen. It might be weird and smelly and awkward and all those sort of things, but it should never be harmful, 
regretful, painful or unwanted. And yeah. we need to have that conversation with them. Now, the average age of that first unwanted sex was 14.9 years old. Yeah, exactly. So there's the evidence, parents. What are we going to do about that? They need the information much earlier than you think. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and it goes hand in hand. All of this information goes hand in hand with learning about respectful relationships, learning about and I talk about in my book and I talk about it all the time about teaching, you know, not just consent because consent is a part of everyday life and everything we do. It's not just about sexual encounters. Uh, but I also talk about respectful relationships because if if young people and people because a lot of people don't know the grooming, the stages of grooming. They don't understand what love bombing is. They don't understand what's healthy and safe, you know, healthy and safe relationship versus what's an unhealthy relationship. And because our young people are engaging in these relationships with sometimes older people, sometimes they're the same um, age or, or, or developmental stage. And these behaviours and these these things, these relationships, they're not, they haven't learnt what's normal what's what's healthy so we need to have those conversations as well well doing some activities in in classrooms sort of year seven year eight and we have an age age appropriate you know cards and they hear from peers about what's we have a red light um activity what's what's harmful behavior and what's what's good behavior in a partnership you know in green orange and red and they put the cards in and they have this fantastic peer conversation so for example uh, your partner rings you 20 times a day is that harmful is that not you know and the conversations are amazing so someone said well if they're due to be meet me at the train station and they're not and, and they didn't come then it would be all right to ring them a lot yes because you'd be worried about them yeah. but is it all right if they do that every day all the time where are you what are you doing and some of the ki kids especially the female identifying kids will say well it means that he cares for me mm. you know so they're, they're getting this dialogue and then other peers will pipe in and say but you're entitled to your own space and to go wherever you want without that person controlling where you go so those messages and that is what we coercive control in an adult or in a domestic violence sense but we're embedding those messages at an age-appropriate way very early such as kit and arlo book um we're talking about empathy reciprocity generosity managing your disappointment if your friend says no to playing a game with you because learning about consent starts in the playground about mutually yeah. negotiating enjoyable game to play yeah oh it's it's every part of every everything and that's the thing um and learning how to um, be okay with someone saying no well imagine if if all of us learned how to receive a no and be okay with it from another person and yeah we can be a bit disappointed and upset but we're not going to put that on to someone else and we're not going to make and it their responsibility bring, that's right and always bring a positive slant into it so you should be proud of yourself that your friend was able to say no yes. that they feel pressured to have to go along with you and say yes you should be really proud of yourself Again, yeah. and that's from, I just, I wanted these embedded um, skills and communication skills to, before they get into those complex intimate encounters later on. It's so important. And from, again, from my space, I saw many, many, many cases of, of situations that shouldn't have happened, shouldn't have been, um, should yeah. never have been, uh, you know, a, an offense. There should never have been a crime committed, but if only these people had that information had that knowledge had that education as Katrina Marsden says in her excellent book legitimate sex 
expectations. Go and read that, parents. Um, that uh, that we should there should never be that young people say, "If only I had have known." You know, <sighs> why is that the case? And we need to give children resources, not discourses, as I've just learned from um, uh, from Justin Hancock from the UK, whose website Bish is excellent, uh, talking about the fact that giving children don't just talk at them and tell them don't rate don't do this don't do that we need to give them resources such as how to communicate it and one of the main things that um is a benefit i don't know if i said this already before um that us talking about it shows it tells them that they can talk about it i think i already said that that yeah. it shows, this is a topic that is that is you can communicate about it. and it's okay to say it's a bit awkward and parents it's okay to say no one ever talked to me about this i don't want that to be the case for you bear with me while i find the words yeah. Or I answered that question the other day and I really didn't answer it very well because I was a bit put on the spot and really a bit shy about what to say. I've had to think about it and I'd yeah. just like to add this. Yeah, you can circle back to any conversation. And that right. was and that was what I learned early on about talking to young people is that, you know, if you like sometimes I would have said something to my own daughter and I would have gone, like you said oh, I didn't actually handle that question well or I didn't think I answered it properly. Hey, I've had to think about it and here's a book that I thought we could read to help us or, um, mm. you know, like have you had, and I used to say this all the time, if my daughter asked me a question, I gave her an answer. I used to circle back up maybe two or three days later and go, like, have you, do you have any more questions about that? So that, you know, you know how we had that conversation about, you know, whatever, masturbation. Do you have any more questions you want? Mm. You, you Do you want to talk more about that? And, um, and, yeah. And use teachable moments. I'll give you sort of three examples that I'll quickly that I've done with children. So, for example, puberty. Um, I had a young, <clears throat> one of my young children were in the club rooms at, you know, the, the sport lesson and we'd finished our lesson and then the big kids came in for their lesson after that and they were big and tall and smelly and hairy and pimply and deep voices and swearing and sweaty and all those sorts of things and when we got in the car I said wow did you notice the difference in the bodies of those kids compared to your age group what did you notice well we sat there and picked about 40 different things that happened during puberty and I got to say in that time and there's sexual changes that happen to your sexual and reproductive organ to one of the things you can do to avoid being embarrassed is not say you or I yeah so Kids. you can say so the changes to people's sexual reproductive organs happen at that time as well because we should be talking about reproductive capacity yeah. uh, and puberty can start as early as eight so you need to start about that earlier and what's so bad about a human being able to have the potential to reproduce should they wish yeah, it's a, it's an amazing thing. It's not a scary thing. It's not, and when you do the the vagina accepts the penis, which by the way we always see the penis is inserted into the vagina, the penis is pushed there, the penis is placed there. Yeah. If we say the vagina accepts the penis, that includes consent. Yeah, and it says that there's two people doing something equally with each other, not someone having something done to them. Yes, yeah. I like that. Uh, and radio ads are a great one. So two radio ads I've used when my kids were young. Again, you want to be the first person to deliver this content. One of the ads on TV, I think it's for laser eye surgery. And Mr. Jones, you left your glasses in the massage parlor. <laughs> I used that. I had a 12-year-old in the car who was about to go off to high school. And I used that to explain what massage parlor sex work and prostitution was. So I was the first person to tell them what that was yeah. and to talk about being respectful to people and why that industry exists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, another one was for nasal spray for erectile function and the kids saying, what's that an ad for? And I said, that's an ad telling people how long sex should go for and it's fake. 
I can't change the AIDS, but I can call them out for what they are. So those boys minds their most important sexual organ isn't told from a young age that they have to have hard erections all the time to last longer in the bedroom blah 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 rubbish and it's no different it's no different to the the messaging they get from pornography you know the messaging in pornography is that you have to be a certain you know you have to have a certain penis length you have to be this you have to be that you know and um this is the thing that probably i would want parents to do is by having these conversations and explaining this stuff you know before they get to an age where they actually go and look it up on porn because my daughter's friends and guys that she knows they have come to her because <laughs> she knows because they know that that she talks to me they've come to her and said I all my sexual exp- or like what I've learned about sex is from porn and she has then gone and, you know, explained mm. that that's not healthy, mm. that's not normal. Well, not mm. no, not normal, um, that's not the right word, but that's not healthy to know that through there. But they've gone, well, we've got no one else to talk to. This is yeah. where we learn it. And that's yeah. not where we wanted them to have it. Yeah, there was outrage over an accurate book that was for sale for parents to buy their kids. You know, where is the outrage about the exposure to online mainstream pornography? Now, pornography exists. It's useful for people's brains in certain situations as far as sexual function. There's ethical pornography out there that people can purchase, but kids don't have a credit card or time to go and find ethical pornography. What they're exposed to is messages that don't give examples of um, positive communication. Oh, that really feels good. Oh, can you do that slower? Oh, can we stop for a while and try something else and kissing and hugging? That's not there. No. Um, people are coerced from a from a no into a yes. Yeah. Though that sort of messaging can occur. And if that's the only frame of reference they have, then that's really unhelpful. Give kids books. Now they need to know the laws, especially about sexting and sending nudes. So Youth Law Australia, you need to sit down with your kids and have a look at that. Let's just get this right. You've got a phone now. It's your responsibility. There's different trains of thought. People in our society and experts, some people think we should just tell them not to do it, but the research shows over 80% have received a sext or nude. Um, So how to reduce that risk and mitigate that. So it doesn't Youth Law Australia and e-safety commissioner, people that should be on on speed dial on your internet search. Well, and it doesn't work. It didn't work for us telling us not to do it. So it's not going to work for other young people. And I would be more, I would challenge parents more to think about, okay, if my young person is sending a nude or a sexting, why? What is it that they're looking for in that engagement with that person? Why? What is happening for them to do that? Why? Well, that's about giving them a resource rather than a discourse, rather than a story, don't do it. You're giving them a resource to critically think about why they're doing it. Be critical consumers of the messages around them. Why is someone asking me to do that when I really don't want to? Or maybe I do want to. And some of us who who think about sexuality in a more open and positive way think about the fact that actually lots of people use technology as a form of sex. I, I call it a sexual activity. So you should just be treating it like any other sexual activity. Now, we give contraception help and suggestions and advice for preventing pregnancy, preventing creating pregnancies, by the way, not getting pregnant. Can we not say getting pregnant? Can we say creating pregnancies? How to avoid sexually transmitted infections and how to avoid really, really high risk and harm if nudes go wrong. So, you know, it's about empowering them with resources to manage that so that whether it happens to them when they're 14 or 24, 
Sorry, or 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 forty. Sorry, um, exactly. Like That's um, for I, I like I would most people uh would probably know someone who has had some sort of like been rec- received a a dick pic yeah. for instance or like or been asked for something you know and it's at all ages it's not just children and it's not just young people. The law doesn't match how we're using technology, um, but the law is there to protect. So it's there for good reason. And there's some horrific things that have happened for kids as far as this. And it's unfortunately, it's because they're experimenting sexually, which is typically expected behaviour, but it's in a public world. It has repercussions that can last a lifetime. That's why we need this conversation. So can STIs and pregnancy as well. So, but it's not all about harm. We need to give them positive Yes. ways of interacting and getting to be critical consumers of why they need to do that i created a website perhaps you could put the link here info sure. for young people it's designed for 16 and over but parents use your discretion there's nothing yeah. harmful in it what it is is health information and law information and yeah. there is pictures of vulvas because that's from a um, women's health in the northeast in victoria labia library um, because it's really important for them to see all types of bodies uh, but anyway it's there for them to understand the laws and that's the basics that should be taught at school and at home as well oh definitely at home and like you keep saying it's usually unfortunately you know schools are doing their best but it has to be a two-pronged attack (laughs) a two-pronged not attack is not the right word but a two-pronged effort from both um both home and at school and if 100%. everyone, because, you know, where we might fall down as educators, the school at the home might pick it up for, or vice versa. So, yeah. Now, this has been an amazing conversation. You, I, I just love talking to you about this stuff and I love having conversations like this. It's just so important. And um, I learn every, every time I speak to you, I learn something. So um, I'll definitely share that website or that information, but tell, but, but tell us a little bit more. So your, your, Business and business and your website is talking the talk. Is that right? Talking the talk, healthy sexuality education. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll put all of the show links, and you're on social media with the same as well. Like, talking yeah, a few talk. different handles. I'll give them to you. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> oh, I don't know them off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's your main one? What? What? I think most of them are talk sex ed. I think it is, even okay. though I don't like the term sex ed. Back ten years ago, I had to do that for people to understand. I still had to. The book had to have sex on the front of it. It's called Talking Sex. But oh. as soon as you read it, you'll see that it's all about not, it's not about sex. It's hardly no. anything to do with it, which is the whole point. So Yeah. And so that comes out on the 5th of September. Is that 6th right? 5th of September. 6th It'll be published. Yeah. But oh it's my available for purchase now. So I can send you that link. Yeah. We'll put it all in the show notes because I think this is a book that every parent is going to want to have in their head, have ready to go. Even if you've got lilies, even if you've, you know, mm, your kids are all ages. all ages. Now I ask all of my guests a question and it's based off of the, what I was thinking when I was writing my own book. And what I was thinking was if parents knew what I knew, and I think most of the time we cover this question, but you never know, you might have a, something else to throw in there. If parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. And so my question to you is, is what would you like parents to know that would um, help them in their journey? Well, having been a clinical nurse consultant in sexual health and helping people who are, have paralysis and brain injuries and that sort of thing and really learning about the pleasure connection and capacity of humans, I would like them to think differently about the opportunity for pleasure and amazing um, intimate encounters that humans can have and hope that they want that for their children oh. when they're at an age-appropriate way. 
Now, how are they going to get that? They're going to get that from lots of different um, ways of approaching it that have happened in the recent past. So I would like parents to do a bit of research for themselves, to think about what they want for their kids and what's the best way to give them that outcomes and the countries who do it well, give lots of information that's age appropriate and accurate and have open conversations. I'd also like them to know the rates of child sexual abuse over 25% in this country. And I'd like them to read your book because your book is very, very uh, parent friendly, easy to read. And if only, if only every parent would spend as much time as they do on buying their latest big ticket items, such as a fridge or a car, would go and spend that amount of time on researching, preventing child sexual abuse, preventing sexual assault, and more importantly, enabling positive, amazing, wonderful, respectful partnerships for their kids, then we would be doing a lot better in the world. Well, in Australia, we would have so uh, such less rates of child sexual abuse sexual abuse domestic violence so yeah well thank you so much i'll put all of the links in the show notes this has been an amazing conversation i've loved every part of it so thank you and um and we'll see you next time thanks christy take care thank you for listening to this podcast episode education empowers children and empowers parents and education prevents abuse That is why I'm here and that is why you are here. So thank you. If you want any further information or support, follow me on social media, either under Christy McVie or KPAU social media accounts. I'll put the links in the show notes. You can also purchase a signed copy of my book, Operation Kids Safe, via the website at www.cape-au.com. Also on my website is a free ebook titled 10 Tips to Keep Your Kids Safe from Abuse and self-paced courses for parents to help you in your journey of child abuse prevention. Don't forget to join our free Facebook group called Operation Kids Safe Parenting Group. Please see the show notes for any extra information, links and help should you be looking for extra support. Thank you once again for giving a shit about preventing child sexual abuse. See you next time.